Hey Life Canton, Roger here, one of the pastors. I'm so glad that you are joining us, whether you are a brand new listener or one who listens to us every week. I just want to remind you that we believe that you belong. You belong to God, so you belong to this community, and we want you not just to be here, but to participate and to get plugged in. So fill out a Connect card, because that's going to be the best way that we can get to know a bit about you and reach out and help you get involved here at Life Canton. So you can find that at our Church Center app, or on our website. Also want to provide remind you that today is an opportunity to support the mission of the church. We just talked about that a little bit ago, about how God is leading us to reclaim our identity in Jesus and bear the torch of Jesus' justice and love to our community. And if you want to be a part of that, there's lots of ways to support it. But one of the ways, one of the really impactful ways, is to invest in the mission of this church and what God is doing here. And you can do that, again, on our Church Center app or our website. I would encourage you, as the year comes to an end and we begin to think about what we're going to do next as we accomplish this vision with our budget, maybe consider giving a uh, end-of-the-year gift that is perhaps a bit larger than you usually do um, to support what's next for us and what's next for what God will do here. Uh, so we are in a brand new series this week called All is Calm. This is going to be our Christmas season series, and you're going to hear Pastor Jared talk about the importance of silence. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Welcome, friends. Welcome, family. Welcome, those of you who it may be your first time here checking out church. We're so glad that you're here. We want you to know from day one that you belong. You belong to God and you belong to us. And we're so glad that you're here, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time with us. And happy Thanksgiving. It's still Thanksgiving in my book, you know, for the, for the week as we eat leftovers and get tired of turkey, right? Um, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And after I spoke last time, there was someone who was actually in this service who came up to me and said, you know, I wanted to say amen. I wanted to talk to you, but I didn't know if I was allowed to. So I just wanted to set the record straight. You're allowed to, okay? Amen. There we go. She gave her, I wasn't going to point you out, but she gave herself away. Um, but I love having a conversation with you because this isn't just me downloading God's word to you. It's us having a conversation. It's us learning as brothers and sisters as we unpack God's word together. Amen. And so I'm excited to do that with you today. Next week, we're going to start a series called All is Calm as we prepare for Christmas. And this time of year, it could be anything but calm, right? We've got ads flying at us. We got Good Friday, or sorry, Black Friday. Um, A lot different than Good Friday. Um, you know, and it just feels hectic and chaotic. And so we wanted to just take a deep breath and relax and have a series about all being calm and how we can find God's presence in the midst of the holidays. So that's coming next week. We'd love for you to bring family and friends for our family service on Christmas Eve. It's on Sunday, so it'll be at 9.30 and 11, our normal meeting times. But we'd love to have you there for our candlelight service. It's gonna be a great time celebrating. Um, but we got a lot of prep to do before that. Speaking of that, we wanted to take a pause today before we jump into that series to talk about Advent. Advent is all about preparation. It literally means the arrival. And if you grew up Catholic like I did or some other liturgical type of church, this these candles will look familiar to you because four Sundays leading up to Advent, you light a candle each week to represent four words that define Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. 
And that's what the four candles represent. And then the, the candle in the center that is white represents Christ, who is our gift that came to us on Christmas day. And so Advent is all about preparing for this arrival of Jesus, the savior of the world. But here's what's interesting. We're not just preparing for the first arrival. We're preparing for the second arrival because we live between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the second arrival of Christ who will come at the end of the world to bring heaven to earth in the restoration of all things. And so we as people of Christ look forward to that time where he comes again. And we look forward to that arrival, but we must be prepared so that we don't miss this opportunity to really soak up his presence and to live out and thrive in these four words that define Advent, peace, hope, joy, and love. We live in this space between, and it takes preparation. So speaking of preparation, Advent doesn't actually start until next Sunday. I wanted to prepare you for that though today by talking about hope and inviting you into this season of preparation. And when I say the word hope, what do I mean? It's very important that we define this word accurately because the way that we typically use it is a lot different than the way that scripture defines it. So we're going to kind of look at those two versions of hope today and wrestle with it. How do we define hope? And when I think about our version of hope, it makes me think of a Christmas wish list. How many of you are putting together your wish list? Kids, you're excited for Christmas coming up? Well, so is my youngest daughter, Stella, and she loves the Paw Patrol. How many Paw Patrol fans do we have out there? All right. These are pups that team up to save Adventure Bay from anything that comes its way, okay? And I even rhymed because they always rhyme everything in Paw Patrol. Um, And so there's 10 pups, and they team up together to rid the town of any evil. Um, And my kids have these Paw Patrol toys. In fact, I have a picture for you because it's just super cute. So there's Stella on the right, and here's Lila, my middle daughter. And there's 10 Paw Patrols here on the right side, but that's not enough, okay? Because you got to have the cat pack too. So that's what these three are, is the cat pack. Now, there's a lot I could say about cats, but I'll reserve my thoughts. I think, I think the, the dogs are enough, but according to the kids, they need the cat pack to come and help save the day. But the problem is there's four cat packs. So well, there's only three here. So that's a problem, right? Because we need Leo. We need the fourth cat pack. And so that's at the top of Stella's wish list is this Leo cat. Now, she hopes that she gets Leo for Christmas, right? She's looking forward to that. She's hoping and anxiously awaiting Christmas. But the problem is she also has 137 other things on her wish list. And uh, she may not get them all. She may not get Leo. Now, I I have to give a kind of a sidebar here for you parents as we think about wish lists. My wife came up with this ingenious idea a couple years ago. Whenever your kids ask for anything, at any time of the year, just tell them you'll put it on their Christmas wish list. Okay. We're like, is that going to work? Like, they're not going to fall for that, right? They did. They fell for it. Because when they tell you they want something and you say it's on the wish list, then they know it's safely there and you haven't forgotten about it. Okay. <clears throat> so try it out. That's, that's free advice for you for parenting. Um, but the problem is, even they know they're not going to get everything on their list. They have this temporary hope that they will get what they want for Christmas. And they prioritize that to put the number one thing first so that they can hope to get this. 
And this is how we normally define hope, isn't it? Temporary hope is expectation based on circumstances. On Christmas Day, kids' hopes are either fulfilled if they get that thing that's on their wish that they were waiting for, and finally I open it up and I got it. Yes, and they're so happy. Or their hopes are dashed if they didn't get that thing that they wanted and they're dejected and sad because their expectations were not met. That's temporary hope. Now we can understand this ourselves, can't we? Let's talk about the Detroit Lions, all right? For decades upon decades, the Lions have been the worst team in the NFL. Every year we hope, maybe they'll be better this year. Maybe Barry Sanders will turn them around. In 1991, we had got our hopes up, but sure enough, the Lions couldn't do anything. And last two years ago, if you told me when they were 3-13 and 13 that they were going to win the Super Bowl, I'd be like, you're crazy, right? Because they just can't deliver. Ah, but this year, this year could be different, right? We're doing well this year. Maybe not after Thursday, but uh, let's forget about that and just keep moving forward. Eight and three, tied for second in the NFL. It's not too shabby, okay? I hope the Lions win the Super Bowl. Can I get an amen? All right, but here's the problem. Even as I say that, there's this tinge of doubt in my heart because they've let me down so many times. I can't trust that they can actually win. There's a problem with temporary hope, isn't there? It's rocked by waves of doubt. Temporary hope is shipwrecked. It cannot hold true when the storms of life come, just like a boat without an anchor. Can you imagine that? A boat is on the sea. It's very risky because a storm can come up at any moment. If you don't have an anchor, that boat can be blown across the lake or it can capsize. It can, it can uh, sink. There's no anchor to hold it in place through the storms that it faces. And that's what temporary hope is like in our lives. If we don't have an anchor, if we have this temporary hope that's rooted in circumstances, it will not last. It will not hold. Our circumstances are always changing, aren't they? So if we put our hope in that, that's a pretty shifty foundation. It's susceptible to stormy seas of despair, depression, doubt, and disease to the tragedies in life. We need something better than temporary hope, don't we? Thank God scripture gives us a better version of hope. So let's see how scripture defines us in Hebrews chapter six, verse 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. I want to stop here and unpack this. We'll be reading through verse 20, but I want to go through each verse for you because there's so much good stuff in here. God has given us his promise and his oath. What is this talking about? Whenever we give a promise, we stake the promise on someone with higher authority, don't we? I remember when I was a kid and, and I would have my friend buy me candy at the store. I'd be like, I swear I'll pay you back on my mom's life that I'll, I'll give you candy on your way later on. Because my mom's life is kind of a big deal, right? And she, my mom's in the audience. Can you give it up for her? Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, your mom's life is a big deal. So people will take that as your word, okay? You've staked that on higher authority, so I'm going to trust you. Well, here's the thing with God. There is no higher authority when it comes to God. So when he promises us something, he stakes the promise on his own life, God says, I guarantee you by my own name, which is the highest authority, that I will do what I say I will do. 
That's pretty confident, isn't it? That's pretty unshakable, unchangeable confidence. And he will not lie. Truth is God's character. He cannot lie. So if he promises something and he says, I will deliver it, he will not lie. He will not change his mind. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of trust. See, they, they always say never use the word always and never, which is interesting because you use, you say never, say always and never, and you say never when you say it. So it's confusing, but that's not the case with God because he always delivers on his promises. Amen. And he never breaks them. He never breaks them. How should we respond to a God like this, to a God with this kind of authority, with this kind of unshakable, unchangeable promise? I mean, can we really trust him? Can we trust, is his character really that good? Is it too good to be true? Will I let go of control enough to trust him? What about those times when you've been praying and you feel like he's not listening or not answering? Can you trust him then? What about when things are confusing and you don't understand the way life is going or there's a sudden tragedy? Can you trust him then? These are the questions we have to wrestle with when it comes to hope. Let's keep reading. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. See, when we believe that we can truly trust a God like this, then we run to him as our refuge in the storms of life. No matter what we're facing, he is a safe haven that we can come and he will cover us with his feathers. He will cover us with his protection and nothing can touch us. Psalm 91 promises we can go through the valley of the shadow of death and still evil will not touch us because he's protecting us. He's our refuge. And we can have great confidence as we trust in a God like this. What allows us to have this kind of strong confidence in God? What is it about him that is a refuge for us no matter what we go through? It's his character. God's character the very identity of who God is, is trustworthy. And this is biblical hope. This is a different kind of hope. It's eternal hope. It's confident trust in God's character. This is the kind of hope that God is inviting us into to trade the temporary hope that's based on circumstances that's shifty, that is never really reliable for this eternal hope that is unchangeable. Because God's character does not change in our circumstances, amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was faithful yesterday, if he showed up yesterday, then he will show up today and he will show up tomorrow in your life to be exactly who you need him to be. That is the kind of God that he is. But I know that we still wrestle with doubt, don't we? Will he come true for us? Will this be true for me? Will God show up when I need him most? I was reading in my devotional today and, and or this week and I read this quote that really spoke directly to what we're talking about and I had to share it with you. Um, let's read it together. In those moments when we do not understand where God is or what he is doing, we will be tempted to change our theology to align with what is happening in the world. We'll be tempted to allow what's happening to us in our circumstances to change our view of God. That's the temptation. 
but let's keep going. In those moments, when we stand strong on the truth of God's word and the goodness of his character, we must not interpret God's word through the lens of our circumstances, but we must interpret our circumstances through the lens of God's word. Isn't that good? Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that stir something in you to say, no matter what I face, I can be strong. I can be confident because God is my refuge. And what does God's word say about him? What does God's word show about his character? That his track record is flawless. That he shows up when his people need him the most. When the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, they cried out to God under the heavy hand of their Egyptian oppressors. They said, God, will you rescue us from this tyranny? Will you rescue us from this labor? We cannot survive under this kind of pressure. And God showed up and miraculously delivered them through many different miracles. He parted the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land and make it to the promised land, a land of abundance that he had promised them. He delivered on his promise. He listened to their prayer. Since the beginning of time, humanity has felt crushed under the weight of sin. Have you? I have. Have you felt stuck in sin and brokenness before? And we cry out to God in those places for a savior. In the span of time, God promised through 300 different prophecies that he would send a savior, that he would send a Messiah to rescue us from darkness, from sin, from shame, and from brokenness. And then he did. He sent us a savior. Jesus came and fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, which by the way is statistically impossible. There's no way that one human being should be able to fulfill over 300 specific prophecies about this Messiah, but Jesus did it. And God showed up through his son, Jesus, bringing us the salvation that we long for. God shows up. God delivers on his promises. And if he was faithful then, then he will be faithful now. I want you to go back to uh, Hebrews 6.18b for us. This phrase right here, hold to the hope. What does that mean? It's really powerful when you can look at the original language because sometimes we miss it in English. This literally means that we can master the hope that lies before us. That's the power of eternal hope. That's the power of rooting yourself in God's character, that it, it gives us the ability to master hope, to become the best at hoping, to exercise the muscles of hope so that when we face no matter what in life, we can stand strong in hope and it does not shake us. It does not rock us. There's something next that we can learn to carry with us, this visual, this powerful image that scripture gives to help us learn more about eternal hope. Let's keep reading in verse 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So if you know me, of course, I've got to have some kind of visual because this is how I remember and hold these things with me. And I hope that does the same for you. Now, this is a cheap Hobby Lobby anchor, but you get the point. These anchors are meant to be heavy, to go down into the muck and, and get rooted there so that when the boat faces the storms, when it faces the turbulent waters, it's not going anywhere because this hope is anchored. This anchor is in the ground and it's not moving. 
And this is the same image that scripture gives for us, that no matter what kind of stormy seas and tragic storms we face, tragedy, heartbreak, betrayal, we feel lost at sea and we feel like our souls are gasping for air. We're just stuck under this weight and the storm. God is the trustworthy anchor for our souls and we can find our hope in him. But these are the times when it feels impossible to trust God's character, doesn't it? This is not easy. What I'm talking about is rough, is difficult. It means you've got to test this in the reality of life. We, my wife and I faced this kind of tragedy a year ago, November 14th, 2022, when we lost our son, 20 weeks gestation, our son, Judah. My wife was not feeling movement in her body and she went to the doctor to have them check. She went with her mom while I stayed with the kids. And when she got to the hospital, they couldn't find a heartbeat. And my wife called me in tears and said, John, we lost Judah. And numbness, not knowing what to feel or what to say, I drove to the hospital in shock. Having to face the unimaginable thought of delivering a baby who had never taken a breath of having a birth and a funeral at the same time. And we walked into the room that we had delivered three healthy babies in and it just felt cruel. Why God, why do we have to deliver a baby who's not alive? Why do we have to miss out on that first cry of life? Why do we have to suffer like this? And even in the pit of this despair and this tragedy and this heartbreak, God showed up. As Liz was delivering Judah, a song came on that was a perfect song that spoke directly to our circumstances of God's presence being there with us, of God's goodness being rock solid and steady, no matter what circumstance we've been through, no matter what this moment was giving to us and the emotions we felt, we felt God's overwhelming presence and joy. And this moment that was supposed to be so tragic was filled with God's presence and his joy. I can't even explain it. We did not feel despair. We felt heartbreak, but we felt God's presence like a fire in our chest. He was there. And over the last years, we've learned to integrate this grief into our story. It's been a process. See, when all this happened at first, I honestly didn't feel angry at God. I felt like he was with us. Like he made it so clear that he was grieving with us. How could I be mad at him? He was there. There's no question. Did I have questions about why it happened and why we had to go through this? Absolutely. But I didn't feel angry until this year, until the one year heavenly birthday of Judah. And I was angry. God, we already grieved once. How do we grieve again? How do we miss him every year? How do we go through this life without our son who should be here? And we had a dear friend make a cake for us. We sang happy birthday to him as a family. And at the end of the song, we all burst into tears and my wife almost lost it because she was imagining him as a one-year-old eating his own cake and getting into a mess and he wasn't there. And it just felt cruel and numb. God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? How come we can't have him? These are raw, brutal, real emotions that God welcomes. 
You see, we sang about God being Emmanuel, God with us. Is he still Emmanuel in the tragedy? Absolutely, 100%. In our tears, in our deepest pit, he is there. He is good. He is Emmanuel. And I can tell you that confidently right now, that even in my anger, God is still there. Even in my anger and my emotion and my numbness, I can go to him and he will be there. Amen? He can handle it. That's a part of his character. And I could tell you what, this has given me an eternal perspective. I have never longed for heaven more than I do now, where I will get to meet my son, where he is growing up in the fullness of perfection with Jesus as his father. And I don't know how it all works up in heaven. We'll find out someday, but there's a history of, of carpenters in my family. And I picture meeting this strong man with a strong handshake. He says, Dad, it's Judah. Let me show you the mansion I've been building for us. Will you come and join me? Will you come and join me as we live for eternity together? As we get to be a family after all. This is the hope that we have, the eternal hope that cannot be rocked by earth's circumstances because it's safeguarded in heaven. This is what we mean. This is what matters. This is eternity. But this is not something we can earn. This is not something we can, you know, build the muscles of hope. It's a gift that is given to us by God. We have to receive it from him in order to be rooted in this hope. And it comes straight from Jesus himself. Let's finish reading in these verses together. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's some interesting language here like Melchizedek. Say that five times fast. Who, who in the world is that? Is this mysterious royal noble king that shows up in, in parts of scripture and is always compared to Jesus. So we don't have time to unpack Melchizedek right now, but you should. I invite you to go and search who Melchizedek is and see how he's connected to Jesus. But it, the point is that there's this royal line that Jesus is a part of, and he is the ultimate king who is in heaven for us. And this imagery that talks about the inner sanctuary is an imagery of the Jerusalem temple where there are many different rooms in the temple, like the church for the Jews, you know, they gather there. And the holiest place is the inner sanctuary. It's the place where the high priest could only go once a year when he went through a purification ceremony and tied a, a rope around his leg because if he was not holy, he would die in God's presence and they'd have to drag him out. True story. So this was, this was the holiest place on earth is the inner sanctuary. Here's the, the problem. This is not talking about the Jerusalem temple. The Jerusalem temple was always meant to be a replica of the true temple in heaven. So when this talks about how Jesus has already gone there for us, guess what? Jesus is in the inner sanctuary in heaven right now, interceding for us. 
He's anchored us to him in the inner sanctuary. So here's what this means. In fact, let me show you what this means so that you can understand this. I asked Franz to come up and volunteer for us to hold this anchor. Can you give it up for Franz? Except he's not Franz today. He's Jesus, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Um, so just like any anchor, right? The boat is, is tied to, by a rope or a strong cable to the anchor and the anchor goes down and holds the boat into place. But the problem is even when the boat is anchored, it can still drift away. And we find ourselves in this place, don't we? With anxiety and depression and loneliness and mental health struggles and family issues and sins and addictions and brokenness, we can drift away from God. We can drift away from our source, from our anchor. And when we find ourselves this far away from him, all we have to do is feel the tug and remember we are tethered to Jesus who is in heaven interceding for us. Jesus, will you help me? I need you. I'm off by myself. I'm floating around. Will you pull me back into hope? And all we have to do is cry out for him and he will pull us back into hope every single time. We are tethered to heaven. We have this strong cable that is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This is the reality, friends. We have a savior who is interceding for us in heaven and we are connected to him. Don't ever forget that. No matter what you go through, you are connected to the source of hope. Amen. Can you give it up for France? Thanks, brother. <clears throat> we are going to pick a volunteer from the audience, but they're like, if you pick someone small, you might pull them over. So we need, France and I work out together. That's why we do it, okay? Um, this eternal hope is something that we can stake our lives on, that we can drop our anchor into because it's rooted in God's character and God's presence. It's rooted in Jesus, who, by the way, is the one who lived God's character perfectly on earth. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 tells us he contains the fullness of God within his character. If you want to look for a person who embodied the character of God the most, then look to Jesus. And he is the one who is in your corner, rooting for you, cheering you on, literally attached to you. There's nothing you can do to get detached from him. All you have to do is call out to him and he will pull you back in to hope. Developing eternal hope is a journey. It takes patience and confidence based on God's character. There's a lot of waiting for God to promise what he wants to give us. My wife and I are currently in a season of waiting. We are praying for a fourth child, a fifth child. One of them's in heaven, but we're praying for another baby. You could join us in that prayer, but this is what we wait for. This is what we hope for. And it's been, a, it's been hard. It's been a year of not being able to get pregnant, of grieving Judah and then hoping for another baby. There is waiting. And it's gut-wrenching sometimes when it feels like God is not delivering on his promise. But if we will wait, if we will trust in his character, if we will hold on to him without letting go, then he will deliver what he promises. How do we live this eternal hope? How do we shift from temporal hope, temporary hope to eternal? 
because our world is filled with temporary hope based on circumstances. And that's not the kind of hope we want to root our lives in. We want eternal hope. How do we get that? I have a couple action steps for us. One is to examine your heart. Is your hope anchored in your circumstances or is it anchored in God's character? Could it be that there have been times in your life where you felt like God disappointed you or didn't answer you or didn't come through for you? Were you actually depending more on your circumstances than you were on God in that moment? Examine your heart. Here's the thing. I want to get Stella Leo for Christmas because she that's what she wants. I want to get that for her. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because it's not good for us. Sometimes it will actually hurt us, but he always gives us what we need. He always gives us what's good for us. And that heart that I have to want to give good gifts to my kids is the same heart that God has for each and every one of us. He wants to give us what we need, but we have to remember that he is our good father and he knows better than we do what we need. We must stay anchored to his character and trust him no matter what. The second thing we can do is celebrate Advent with our loved ones. Again, this season is rooted in hope, peace, love, and joy. So one thing you could do is get an Advent wreath. If you don't already have one, you could buy them online and get four candles that represent these four words. Each Sunday, you can light a candle and tell stories. Whenever you tell stories of hope, peace, love, and joy, you become more like God because these are actually words that define his character. So as we share about a story of hope, then we have more hope. We feel it growing inside of us. As we share about joy, we can't help but laugh and have joy. And it's contagious. We begin to embody the character of God. And we begin to live into that eternal hope. Another tool that you can use for uh, Advent is the Bible Project videos. On our Church Center app, there's a link that will take you to a whole series that's built on these Advent words and teaching you them from a biblical perspective. They're awesome. You should check it out. So that's another thing that you can do as you celebrate Advent together. How do we live and thrive in eternal hope? We have to pause. We have to reflect. We have to repent of the ways that we have settled for temporary hope and forgotten this eternal hope, or maybe we didn't even know it existed. I want to give you a moment to pause, to accept this eternal hope, to accept the gift that God wants to give us, to begin to anchor our lives in this eternal hope. The band's going to play a song called Fear Is Not My Future. And this song is very dear to my heart because this is one of the songs that, that God spoke to us as we were grieving Judah He spoke hope into our circumstance. He gave us confidence based on him. Fear is not my future. You are. Death is not the end. You are. Let these words wash over you and receive this eternal hope. Welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed that message. I hope that message also brought you some peace, some calm, uh, began to at least lead you in that direction during this busy Christmas season. If there is anything you have going on that you need support for, whether it's something that came up in this message or something you just have going on in your life, we want to 
pray for you, encourage you, support you however we can. So be sure to fill out that Connect card and indicate that you need prayer or some other kind of support, and we will reach out and and do the best we can to support you. Uh, But I hope you have a wonderful week and that this week you find time to be silent uh, and enjoy that silence as a gift from God. Uh, We'll see you again next week.